Canes fans, what's going on? Peter Rees here with another edition of the Canes Insight Podcast alongside D Money, who dropped his version of the bank last week, the latest edition with the latest updates in the recruiting world. And of course, canesinsight.com, always the place to be for the latest on the team and recruiting. D, good evening. Uh, talking here about North Carolina tonight, but of course, we have to look back at last week against Georgia Tech, where to begin. Obviously, a, a very disappointing end to that game. Thank God you're at a wedding. Yeah, you know, I was at a wedding. I was not at the game. And at the time, I was upset that I missed the game. But upon reflection, you know, I probably would have been uh, dead or in jail if I witnessed that in person or divorced. So God works in mysterious ways. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was not at that game in retrospect. But look, when your coach is trending internationally, you know, he went viral internationally for stupidity. Uh not a good feeling, I'm sure, for him and certainly for the Kane fan base. There's not much to say that hasn't been said. To me, this game has now become the most important game of the season. Texas A&M, I thought, really would be that game for the whole season because it was so much about validation. But because of the way you lost to Georgia Tech and the potential loss of trust in the team, in Cristobal, this game becomes so important. You win this game against a very, very good, very successful North Carolina team. You're right back in business. You lost the game in the ACC. It happens. Teams get upset when they when they have bad games, when coaches make mistakes, when quarterbacks make mistakes. You can, even though the way it happened will haunt Mario forever and Canes fans forever, it's one game. You lose this game. Now you worry about second guessing internally. You worry about chemistry. You really have a bad outside perception, even though the, the opponent is very good on the road. So this game is critically important to reverse the momentum, move on from last week. And talking to people around the program, you know, they think the morale is good. They want this to be sort of a rallying cry or at least a, a, a rallying moment where the team comes together as opposed to falling apart. And we'll see. Um, we'll know very quickly. You know, I talked to folks who – have connections around the conference to certain coaches in the ACC and the rap on, on UNC is, and has been for a while that they're soft, very talented, always have talented skill guys, but they're physically soft is the rap from other ACC coaches and staffs. Miami's prided themselves on being a tough team. So this game will tell us a lot about their mental toughness and their physical toughness. Tar Heels, of course, five and zero, number 12 ranked team in the country, undefeated have Played a, a solid schedule up to this point, considering they've had a couple P5 teams in there. Had a battle with App State, went to double overtime with them. We went very in-depth on the Tar Heels in today's episode in my interview with Tommy Ashley of Inside Carolina, the 247 Sports Network team site for, for Carolina, and he's, he's the podcast host for them. So had a really in-depth discussion with him, got in detail about their success, the defense is having a better year uh, than than some people expected. And it's obviously Drake May on the other side there at the quarterback spot, but they do have some guys around him, as they normally do, as Mac Brown has recruited well, D. Um, and again, not to look too, too much back at last week, right? But outside of the last play or last couple of plays of the game, I should say, what is something that you're going to be focused on this week that you weren't necessarily happy with last week? Well, first of all, 
make sure we get our plugs, like, and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, if only, you know, I know you're down in the team, but this, you're listening. So you still believe in the recruiting still going. I should be dropping a, a bank uh, probably tomorrow, which will be written on the site, canesinsight.com, sign up for the forums. Um, and I'll probably drop it uh, on audio. So stay tuned for that. Um, you know, anybody interested in sponsoring the podcast, hit me up at G- on Gmail, canesinsight at gmail.com. And, you know, stay tuned on this podcast that you're listening to right now because Pete has that great interview he mentioned um, with some great intel on UNC. But as far as something I saw, really not just last week, the whole season, the pass rush needs to be better. This is a top 10 pass rush last year down in the 80s now. They're going against a UNC team where if you look at them, they're pretty solid across the board statistically. 11th in scoring offense, 19th in scoring defense. Their weakness has been and continues to be pass protection. I think they're 59th in sack percentage. There's some there's some weaknesses on that line. Miami needs to find the pass rush because Drake May is, to me, the closest thing I've seen to Trevor Lawrence as far as athleticism, size, arm strength, arm talent, and just you know mental makeup. I'm a huge fan. So Miami's going to need to get to him to slow him down because he if you give him time, he is just too good. And Miami's not great on the back end. So you got to see the pass rush based on what I saw last week. And then just the toughness, you know, we thought Miami was going to run all over Georgia Tech. That didn't happen. This is going to be a tougher opponent. Can Miami's running game bounce back? And can they physically out-tough North Carolina both early on and really throughout the game and in the fourth quarter? Not to give too much away, but Tommy Ashley, again, who is the Inside Carolina podcast host who joined me after this, was – very positive and upbeat about the start this year, but was saying that 1,000% the biggest weakness on the team is the offensive line. So that was going to be the biggest matchup that he was watching this week as well. So goes right in line with what you're saying. And, of course, the Titanic uh, restaurant and brewery right across from Mark Light will be the spot for the away the away game. I know we, I know a lot of people are wondering why we why we uh, tell, tell folks who can't make it out to Hard Rock to – show up to Titanic as we did again last week, but it's an away game this week. So if you're in town, it's the place to watch it. Best game day deal in town, dollar wings, dollar jumbo shrimp. I will be there and I'm excited to meet some UK's fans out there and let's pack, let's pack the Titanic. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to make it out as well. Um, if I get a babysitter, I'll, I'll be there. And uh, it's, it really is a spot. We saw temple there, temple game there. And it was awesome. Met a lot of people, um, there's a great atmosphere, great deals and ton of TVs, but this is huge, man. I'm nervous. You know, I, I would have had a much different attitude about this game if not for the loss last week, but this has become really a must win and you could really erase a lot of what happened last week, uh, with the win here. And I, again, this comes down to toughness. This is going to be a game about bouncing back resilience. All the things Mario talks about now. Let's see if it happens. Let's see if the team rallies around him. He's come clean, but if you come clean and you start losing, the fingers are going to get pointed anyways. So a win will really do a lot to bring this team closer together and, and go the other way. Because something like that happens, you can get closer or you can really start doubting and losing trust and respect. So this game is, is absolutely enormous. It's bigger than FSU, bigger than Clemson. You know, those are tough games against tough opponents, but this is very much about this team, this Miami team, and how they're going to respond. And huge opportunity for them, too, because you'd, I think you'd rather want this where 
listen, if they come out flat in this one on the road in prime time against an undefeated Carolina team, then you can really start to say there might be some issues moving forward. But you have the opportunity like this where you can't give yourself that that time to really dwell too much on what happened last Saturday. And that's what they're saying, obviously, in the in the press conferences and the, the media sessions. That's what you're hearing that the team has moved on. But again, until they take the field on Saturday night, we'll know we'll know very early. Right. I mean, it's we've watched enough Canes football to know when a team like we saw last week did not come out the right way after a bye. And it's interesting because Shannon Dawson did did admit in his media session that for whatever reason in his career, his offenses have come out slow after a bye. So hopefully it was an anomaly last week. That side of the ball gets back on track. Defense doesn't have those lapses in judgment. Um, but like you said, learning moment, hopefully for this team, for this program moving forward and excited to see how the rest of the season plays out. Yeah. And one more thing. The last time Miami beat North Carolina was with Mark Richt, you know, so it's been a while. A lot of these games, aside from the blowout in 2020, we remember where, you know, Javante Williams and Michael Carter just ran absolutely wild. A lot of these games are, are close games that even if Miami is really struggling, the fact that, you know, North Carolina is soft up front allows Miami to come back in the game and stay in the game and have a chance to win at the end. That was the case last year. That was the case in 2021 when Van Dyke led the comeback and the, there was a tipped interception when they were about to win the game. That was the case in 2019. If you remember, that was Jaron Williams had a game and a chance to win at the end. So usually, even when Miami's lost lately in the series, it's been close enough for Miami to have a chance to win because of the fact that North Carolina doesn't have that, you know, that killer defense or that great ability to close out games and, and really separate. So Miami should have a chance here to, to take control of the game at some point, and they're going to need to do it. They're going to do it with their running game, their physicality, and we haven't even mentioned Tyler Van Dyke, who I'm sure is dining it on the field after a rough performance, three interceptions. I, I will say Miles Murphy on their defensive line, big-time NFL prospect talent, he's not soft. So they do have some guys who are, who are there in the trenches for sure uh, who, who are difference makers. But D-Money, appreciate the time tonight. Excited for Tommy Ashley joining the show next here on the Canes Inside Podcast. Remember, like this video, subscribe to the channel, bring this content to you every week. We have the live show as well. Keep it locked here on canesinsight.com. Go Canes. Go Canes. Excited for this next guest here on the Canes Insight Podcast, Tommy Ashley of InsideCarolina.com on the 247 Sports Network and the Inside Carolina Podcast has been kind enough to join us today. Tommy, welcome to the show. Appreciate your time. How are you doing this afternoon? Man, it's a fun time getting ready for a big college football game on Saturday night. A lot going on. Um, it's always fun to talk Carolina football, especially with the Miami guys. I, I've got a, a relationship with a few of, of you guys down there, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Listen, the Tar Heels and the Canes that always seem to have uh, really interesting battles. It's been a, it's listen these these matchups tend to get a little spicy. You know, there's they've developed a nice back and forth 
uh, matchup here. And obviously the Tar Heels have gotten off to a great start this season. Kane's limping in here a little wounded from, from last week. But from everything that we can gather in the media this week, guys are turning their attention to this week. And there's no reason for a letdown as you're going into Chapel Hill. Prime time there, the ABC national game here. So, Tommy, what's the atmosphere like up there in Chapel Hill right now as the Canes come into town? Obviously, I know a lot of fans would have liked the undefeated matchup, but still a, a ranked battle coming in here. Yeah, I mean, obviously there have been some big Miami and North Carolina games in Keenan Stadium over the years. You know, I, I think about 2004, and I hate to bring that one up, but that was an unbelievable atmosphere, even when North Carolina wasn't very good that year. You had top five Miami coming to town. We know it ended with a field goal um, with Connor Barth kicking a field goal to beat the Canes then. And then you, you circle back, I think 2013, Carolina had a, a blackout. And yep. had Miami, and I believe that was on a Thursday night. That was pretty yeah, insane. Yeah, it was. It was. One of, was a guy a, named Dallas Crawford had 20, you know, he was, he was a hun, over 100 yards, and he was a converted safety. He was the yeah. – the, the, we had a blocked <laughs> blocked field goal for touchdown that night, too. That was, a, that was a wild one. Yeah, and it was also a game that North Carolina could have run out the clock and not given the ball back to Miami. Um, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? And uh, Unfortunately. <laughs> Miami gets the ball and wins that game. But, you know, I think about since Mac Brown, we talk about the atmosphere in Keenan Stadium now. Since Mac Brown got back, um, 2019 Miami came to town. Um, that, that was another game that North Carolina had some success. That was one of the best Keenan Stadium atmospheres I'd ever seen, and I've been going since I was a baby. And and so that was nuts. Um, a couple of years ago, the same thing. And then this year, um, with Carolina being ranked high, yes, Miami lost. I think it, you know, to the casual observer, it's lost some of its luster. I think, but to anybody that follows college football, they understand that things happen, um, and sometimes coaches make dumb decisions and it bites them in the butt. And that's what happened against Miami. In, or for Miami and Georgia Tech, but the atmosphere in Keenan Stadium Saturday, it should be a, a sold-out crowd. We'll see how the weather's going to be. There's always some folks that shy away from a little bit of weather, but we're supposed to have a little bit of rain, potentially. Um, but I expect an absolute insane asylum in Keenan Stadium uh, because it's Miami. And, and whether or not Miami's up or down, it's still Miami, and it's the U, and, and everybody wants to get a piece of the U up here in Chapel Hill, so expect it to be pretty wild definitely uh, be a hot ticket atmosphere around town's exciting um, just looking forward to saturday and, and you mentioned the prime time aspect of it you know you get into chapel hill early whether you're a hurricanes fan or, or a tar hill fan and you hang out in chapel hill a beautiful place to hang out tailgate and, and then get into the stadium for what should be a great football game between two good teams and it's listen looking at the start of the season for the Tar Heels. It has not been an easy schedule by any means playing multiple power five schools. App State gave them their best battle of the season as that one went into double overtime. Um, but that one always seems to be a, a you know, a, a nice battle as well, right? Everyone knows what App State can Absolutely. do uh, to teams, right? So how would you assess this start for the Tar Heels? Big expectations coming into the year, but 5-0 and is 5-0, and right? Absolutely. I mean, I think when you look at Carolina's start, Mac talked about, Mac Brown talked about all, whenever the schedule dropped, he, he really was upset at the way that, that North Carolina's schedule 
was aligned by the ACC. Um, but he also talked about the front end being the most difficult that he had experienced as a college football coach. Now, a lot of that's Max speak. Let's be honest. He he coached at Texas. He, you know, they played some pretty good games. Um, but South Carolina, you mentioned that. Whether or not they're up or down, that's an SEC school. App State is just one of those games where um, it's a rivalry game. It's in-state. It's, you know, not to disrespect them, but it's little brother playing big brother. Um, you know, David Goliath, all those type things. And App's a pretty good football team, even though they I think they lost last night. Um, but they're a solid football team that plays their Super Bowl against teams like North Carolina. Um and you saw that last year against Carolina, and then they lost, they beat Texas A&M, and then they were not good. So they put all the eggs into that basket. Minnesota was another Big Ten team coming in. Um, physical football, I think it prepared North Carolina for that Pitt game, another physical team. Um, and Pittsburgh and Minnesota have shown not to be very good, but they're physical, tough football teams. And then it prepares you for a game against Syracuse where I thought would be close. I think I had it 33-26, and Carolina flat out destroys them. And in a, a beatdown for North Carolina football, um, you know, as good as any in the past three years, four years. And so for me, 5-0 and is 5-0, and but I think it's a little bit different this year um, because 5-0 and is not – uh, blown up because Drake May has just gone absolutely nuts like he did last year. Uh, they were 9-1 and last year, and Drake was the talk of the college football world, and they were 9-0 and because Drake was the talk of the football college world. This year, uh, they're 5-0, and and nobody's talking about Drake May. You know, They're talking about North Carolina's defense being improved, the running game being improved, um, and then Drake certainly gives some props, and he can do it, but it's just a more balanced team, and they've sort of handled business better than they have over the years. And, and it's interesting to watch the growth. I mean, it's year two for the defense in, in Gene Chizik's, and Mac Brown's preached leadership and player-led teams, and they've got an older team. And, and so 5-0 is great, and it certainly North Carolina hadn't been there many times. But for somebody that's watched it over the years like I have, it's 5-0, and yes, and that's really good, but it's 5-0 and um, – a stronger 5-0 and than I can remember. Let's talk about some of those guys outside of Drake May. He gets he gets the hype as we all know he's going to be a, a top draft pick um, when when he decides to to go and and Mac has recruited around him very well, obviously. Uh, so the run game, Amari Hampton has been really good. Uh, uh, this Amarion Hampton, excuse me, has been has been really good by the numbers this year. Tez Walker coming back, obviously, that's more than just the on-field impact. Seems like uh, a big emotional impact on the team, and uh, moving forward should serve them very well. But how would you assess the offensive talent around Drake May right now? Well, I think skill position-wise, it's as good as anybody. You know, you mentioned Tez, but I can go down the list. I mean, Nate McCollum. From Georgia Tech, um, who is a problem at Georgia Tech, and now he's a problem for people at North Carolina. Um, last year, Carolina had Andre or Antoine Green, excuse me, and Josh Downs, and Josh those Downs. were your over-the-top deep threat and your underneath guy. And Mac Brown recruited out of the portal and got Walker, Tez Walker, and Nate McCollum to sort of replace those guys. Um, I'll, I'll talk about Tez just briefly. 
that guy's different. Uh, and he's one of those guys on defense. If you're on defense, you have to account for him. Um, because if you don't, he's behind you in a hurry. And that's what North Carolina expected going into the year. Um, and then the NCAA did their thing um, until they didn't. And now um, we saw Syracuse having a couple days to prepare for him, not really knowing how to handle him. So uh, those two guys are certainly going to get all the talk. But you've got J.J. Jones, who's been really good um, in Tez Walker's place and now playing alongside Tez Walker. And I think North Carolina's tight ends need to get more discussion nationally. Um, If you're watching North Carolina, you will see them. But I don't know if Kamari Morales, John Copenhaver, Bryson Nesbitt get enough uh, discussion because there is three guys. Uh, they do. They have three different skill sets. Um, you have Morales is a, a more rounded. Copenhaver um, can do anything, but then Nesbitt is a difference maker at six five, six six, and can play outside and be a wide receiver. So those guys are always open. Uh, I mean, one of the craziest stats for me is you know everybody talks about. Tez Walker, or everybody would talk about Josh Downs last year. Drake May completed 23 passes, if my math is correct, against Syracuse in the first half to 10 different wide receivers. It means everybody gets open, and he finds everybody. And and then if you don't cover those guys, uh, or if you have trouble with them and you can lock them down, then he can hit a running back out of the backfield, and that's where Hampton's gotten so much better this year. That's where British Brooks has finally caught some passes out of the backfield. Uh, so skill position-wise, North Carolina's offense can play with anybody. Um, you, you literally, if you go into a store and say, let me build an offense, right, they've got all those pieces, and they're all on the same team. And then you add in a quarterback who's a difference maker, with his legs, his arm, his mind, and everything, your offense is going to be good. Where North Carolina needs to get better is on that offensive line, and they've had some issues there. And we can talk about it, but I think that'll be a key Saturday night against Miami is how does that offensive line hold up against Miami's defensive front that's talented, big, and fast. And to me, it's it's that trenches battle, and it's that passing offense of Carolina against a pass defense for Miami that obviously last week, the end of the game, made their blunder, but has been really, really good. Both of these, both sides, top by the numbers, uh, you know, nationally, if you look at the numbers. So uh, interesting on the offensive line for Carolina, Canes fans who may not know, Corey Gaynor, yep. you know, Miami I mean, he's a I want to say he's a six-year senior now. Six-year so guy now. Yep. He's been Canes fans would remember him from a while back. He's been out there now for a couple of years, but uh, was a was a fan favorite coming out of high school. If you if you go back and watch his high school tape, was was a gritty, mean guy, um, and has obviously played played really well over there at, at Carolina. But going to be uh going to be an interesting battle in the trenches there yeah let me you talk about Corey Gaynor and and, an interesting story from him obviously he played down there for four years three or four years got had some injury issues but he was the starting center last year for North Carolina and he never spoke to the media once last year and the cool thing about it is is we finally got him this year we wanted to talk to him we finally and and the first question is you know why didn't you talk to us last year and he said, I'm the new guy. I'm here to lead by example and do all these type things. 
And quite frankly, y'all don't need to hear from me until I prove I can do my job. And now he's become, he's a great interview. Um, to your point, he's nasty. I haven't met an offensive lineman, and I have a lot of offensive lineman friends, but I have not met one that was really good that wasn't nasty. And and he is certainly one of those guys, and that's what you want. And him and Drake are, you know, peas in a the pod there. They, they are best buds at Carolina. But Corey Gaynor's ability to be the old guy in the room, you know, thanks to COVID and NCAA grant and eligibility extensions, all that kind of stuff. But he is one of those guys that just sort of helps your football team be better as a whole and definitely on that offensive line because he's a stabilizing force. I mean, yeah, everybody always turns to me. Center. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody always turns to me and says, well, you're the old guy. You probably remember this. Same thing with Corey Gaynor. He's, there's not anything he hasn't seen as a college football player. And like you said, he's playing the, the, probably the second most important position on the offense, and that's center um, in front of you know your, your All-American, potentially All-American quarterback. It matters a lot. Yeah, no, I, I listen, I think Kane's fans have been happy to see him have the success that he's had up there for sure. Like I said, he was coming out of high school. That he was a late offer for Miami, wasn't a huge recruit, came on late in the recruiting scene, um, but he played a lot of football at Miami as well. So that experience is invaluable. Looking at the defensive side of the ball for Carolina, like you mentioned, that's really been the side that has – made things a lot easier as mac brown said they're playing complementary football uh the offense and the defense right gene chiswick leading that group right miles murphy on the defensive line is as good as anybody in the country just get into that side of the ball a little bit and where their success has come from this season yeah i mean the defensive line's been a lot better um you know they're a year older they understand exactly what coach chiswick wants to do and I think, you know, we often talk about this, and it's kind of funny, but a lot of these guys were highly recruited, and they hadn't produced, at least not consistently at North Carolina. And then you start getting more years on you in college, and, and the years start becoming contract years, right? The NFL's watching you. The NFL doesn't care if you're a five-star in high school, if you didn't do squat in college. And I think that a lot of that for these guys has really clicked. They've realized, hey, I love this game. I've put a lot of work in my life in this game. Now I need to actually show it on the football field. And North Carolina has seven or eight guys on the defensive line that have been able to produce consistently. You mentioned Miles Murphy. Uh, you mentioned, uh, well, we need to mention Cayman Rucker, number 25. If, if, if Cayman Rucker's name's being called a lot on Saturday night, North Carolina's defense has had a good day. And, and, and that'll be an interesting watch. But inside, you've also got Tamari Fox in number zero. Um, interesting story about why he's number zero, um, but he was uh, declared ineligible last year by the NCAA to a, to a supplement or alleged banned supplement, whatever. Um, he practiced all year on the scout team. He busted his butt, and he said uh, that 56 was dead. I'm going to start at the bottom, and he chose zero. He's another guy on the interior um, that's been really good. And then North Carolina's got some defensive ends, whether it's Des Evans, or Cayman Rucker that it can make some plays. And you've got Amari Gaynor, a Florida State transfer that's out there. Uh, the linebackers get a, uh, a majority of the conversation, said Gray and Power Eccles, 23 and 33. Um, but I think what's really made the difference for North Carolina on the defensive side of the ball is the back end. 
the, the cornerbacks. Elijah Huzzy's transfer from East Tennessee State. He was a you know FCS All American with I think a dozen interceptions in his career there. You know, he's got three at North Carolina in the past two games. And he is one of those guys that makes plays on the back end. And Tayon Holloway, another corner, Marcus Allen, another corner, and they have some depth there at the safety. They have the ability to cover a little bit, whereas in years past, nobody on the back end could cover. And so North Carolina would get in trouble if they blitzed or whatever because a quarterback always had an open guy. And I think that's the difference for North Carolina. Um I know Restrepo is going to be a major target for Van Dyke. Well, I envision Elijah Huzzy on him, especially if they're in both in the slot, slot corner and the slot receiver. And so it'll be an interesting matchup, but I think that's where North Carolina has gotten more better than any place is that back end and the ability to allow the defense front to do some work. Yeah, Restrepo, he's obviously Van Dyke's safety blanket. It was brought up in the press conference or, or one of the, the media sessions this week with Van Dyke just asking him why Restrepo has, you know, significantly more targets than anyone else. And look, it's obvious that teams are going to catch on and they understand that when things break down in the pocket, he's going to be looking for Restrepo. So um, that's going to be a, an interesting matchup to watch. He'll probably still get his numbers, but it's, I think a lot of it's about limiting some of the speed that the Canes have, uh, yep. you know, they're on the outside. A um, couple more things before I let you go, Tommy. This coaching staff, it's very interesting to me. Mac Brown, everyone knows his track record, his experience um, at the highest level. But the guys that he surrounded himself with, obviously, Gene Chizik, a Freddie Kitchens, former, former Cleveland Browns head coach, Clyde Christensen, the amount of uh, experience he has at the NFL level, right, working on the off of the side of the football the dynamic to me it's pretty interesting with all this experience and it's the college game right a, a lot of what you're seeing is these younger coaching staffs uh these younger head coaches a lot of it being recruiting driven not that carolina's not recruiting uh, at a very good level right now but can you talk about just from from your perspective how this staff you know kind of works together because obviously there could be some big egos in the room there. These guys have done a lot of big things in football. Um, so I'm just interested um, how that staff, their, how their dynamics work. Yeah, I mean, it starts with Mac Brown, obviously. He, he's been around forever, Hall of Fame and all that. But he doesn't put up with a lot of, a lot of junk, for lack of a better word. Um, but you mentioned a guy like Freddie Kitchens. Uh, I mean, when they said they were hiring or thinking about hiring Freddie Kitchens, I'm like, the dude that was the Cleveland Browns head coach, why is he going to come coach tight ends at Carolina? And and, uh, and then Clyde Christensen, who has literally um, been hands-on with the best quarterbacks ever to play the game. And, um, you know, that benefit on the offensive side. You've got Chip Lindsey, who a lot of people were like, Chip Lindsey who? When they hired him as offensive coordinator. But he's got those connections across the board. Um, and then to have Christensen, especially Freddie Kitchens, in the room, um, there are no egos there. They all agree um, that they're there to be surrounded by other fellow coaches that just want to win football games and, more importantly, teach. That was one thing Mac wanted to do is make sure Drake May got the appropriate teaching that he needed in, in what's probably his last year. And 
Kitchens and, and Christensen and Chip Lindsay and those guys are able to do that. And then you've got a guy like Lonnie Galloway, who uh, we heard from today, wide receiver coach, great recruiter, relates to the players, um, has has dreams to, to go higher on the coaching staff uh, tree, but is satisfied now doing what he's doing. So just a great offensive staff there, um, to your point, with a ton of experience. That could be egos. But, I mean, it, Freddie Kitchens could have gone and gotten a job in the pros, you know, somewhere. There's 30-plus teams. He could have gone and gotten a job there. But he, instead, he, he came to North Carolina after a year at South Carolina to coach and teach and sort of see what he liked there. Christensen's the same way. Uh, I mean, the man's resume is as good as anybody's in the business. Then you flip it over on the other side, and I think this is where it's a huge um, deal that nobody has egos, is North Carolina's defensive line was not good last year and the year before. And defensive line coach Tim Cross caught so much grief for that. You've got all these four and five stars. They're not producing. The coach must stink. So what did Mac do? He goes and get Ted Monachino, who coached Terrell Suggs at Baltimore, you know, and he has all that pro level experience as an analyst. So there's just a good blend, a good mix um, of ridiculous resumes. Uh, I mean, I'd put Carolina's college staff resume stack up against just about anybody in the college game, um, but they're all there for a common goal, and it shows every day, you know, and. And they can have differing opinions on the sidelines, or, or not on the sidelines, but in the meeting rooms before the games. And then on the sidelines, it all blends in. Um, but it ultimately goes back to Mac Brown. Uh, I mean, you see it whether, it was, whether it's Mario Cristobal or Nick Saban or whatever. If the head coach is the one that's got his um, stamp on the program and his control of the staff and the, and the program, then – if if trouble arises, that trouble doesn't last very long. And North Carolina's made those coaching changes to get quality guys in. It's amazing to me that you, you've got three high-level NFL coaches um, on that college staff, and it's showing. I mean, it's paying off on the defensive side, certainly paying off on the offensive side. And it's a joy to watch. And not only that, those guys are great to talk to. You know, a lot of people – I've often said this – a lot of people are arrogant. There's only certain people that have earned the right to be arrogant. And when you're as good at your job as some of these guys are, if there's a little arrogance in there, you sort of say, okay, I understand it. None of that with any of them. Uh, they're so down to earth, so perfect for what Matt Brown and North Carolina are trying to do. Yeah, the results certainly showing early this season and last last year as well. Uh, Tommy, last thing here before I let you, I have to get a, a couple basketball things in here, right? Before we talk about the state of Carolina's program, how crazy has it been for you to see Miami ascend in the ACC since they joined in 04? Everyone thought it was it was for football as, you know, everyone thought they were going to come in and be at top of the conference there with Florida State and Virginia Tech coming in, right? But here we are and back-to-back elite eights a final four and a top 10 preseason ranking here for the canes i mean from your perspective could you have ever seen this coming from a miami program well you know no (laughs) to be honest you know most of those everybody talks about the blue bloods and i get it i mean the teams that are usually there 
But what makes college basketball especially cool is that teams are able to, like Miami, like Florida State, I mean, um, you can stay there in the ACC and talk about those schools, but to see what getting a good coach and the transfer portals helped a lot uh, around the country, um, but getting a good coach and then having some continuity on the coaching staff and in the head coach seat and then getting talent in. And um, and I'll I'll freely admit, you know, I I enjoy watching Miami play basketball. A lot of people don't like Larinaga, don't like the whistling. I've heard so much about that. Um, I enjoy watching him coach. I enjoy hearing him speak, and I've had the opportunity to, to speak to him at some Operation Basketball and stuff. But if you'd have told me, and you know, back then when Miami joined the conference, that hey, in 20 years or 15 years they were going to be a top third or, or top quarter ACC team. I mean, like, get out of here, you know. But, it, it, hey, it just shows you how to, how it works. And uh, Miami is committed to that on the basketball side. And um, it makes the ACC better. Who knows what the ACC looks like in three to five years. But the current iteration – and, hey, it's just another team um, to, to keep Duke and NC State down. If you're a North Carolina fan, there you and go. That, I, that's what ultimately matters. <laughs> and listen, I, I was gonna say though, I've never, I, I haven't heard the Laren that people, a lot of people hate Larenega. I've, I've always thought nationally that he was a very, very well liked guy. Oh, he is, but he's got it. He, he whistles right, okay. and for whatever reason, it triggers some folks. Maybe it's just our message boards. Maybe it's just a. Uh, you know, I don't know. I think the I, record. I, I think the head-to-head record might be getting getting there. It the, is the the, the the fan skin a little bit. I, yeah, I you think. folks blame the, the whistle. It's actually the record. Hundred percent. I agree with you. Hey, because because it was like uh, you know you get a, a coach that coaches at some other university and, and they're likable, but they're minor annoying things, and people never even mention it. But yeah, I love I love Larinaga. I love what he's done at Miami. Um, he was at George Washington, or excuse me, George Mason, when uh, they beat North Carolina in the tournament back in the early 2000s. So, yeah, he's a name to spin around, and he's good at what he does. And uh, to be able to win at Miami um, and, and have that as part of the ACC, I think it's only cool things. I always felt like him and Roy Williams had a lot of respect for each other. Uh, I remember when he, when Roy Williams came into Miami's locker room in the 2013 after the ACC championship game yep. there, and he showed his respect. I don't. I don't think that Coach K and Larinaga necessarily uh, got got along the same way. So yep. uh, obviously Hubert Davis, they're now championship berth in his first season, and then the struggles last year. What's the What's the state of the program right now? I, I know no tournament last year was tough, but coming off of that first year run, it's it's difficult to you know, to kind of be too critical, right? Well, I mean, the thing about it is, and yes, they made that run in the in the NCAA tournament last, or two years ago, um, got to New Orleans, and then we were down there. Just unbelievable that that team was up 15 at halftime of the national championship game, you know. and um, But what people forgot, and I hate to be the sort of Debbie Downer for folks sometimes, but it it bears repeating is that that team was not good a majority of that season. Um, They got hot when it mattered, and ultimately that's what matters is when you play well in the tournament. Last year, um, you know, last year just was 
not good all the way around. Amando Baycott stayed hurt. Uh, Baycott mentioned this year in, at Media Day last Friday that he felt like the team was too Hollywood going into last season. They heard all the clippings. They heard all the the, the noise, as Hubert Davis says, um, going into that. They had made this unbelievable run through the NCAA tournament. They got to the Final Four. Now they're all coming back. They're all doing videos saying, I'm coming back. And, and what nobody talked about is they weren't good from November to February, mid-February. And uh, so it sort of caught up with them last year. But, hey, I mentioned the transfer portal. Uh, I talk about the transfer portal a lot. It's a completely new team. Was that media day? And, of course, we all know who the players are. But for the the casual reporter that shows up at a basketball media day, to hear guys saying, excuse me, uh, could, could you point me to Harrison Ingram? Or which one is Cormac Ryan? It's a new era. And, and Hubert Davis, one thing about Hubert Davis is he's going to do things he, the way he wants to do them, which certainly uh, that is a head coach's prerogative. But his team is his team now, you know. There, there's what two uh, Hugh, uh, Roy Williams players on this team, and so, and then so many new faces. So Hubert Davis, I think, needs to show that he is capable of fielding a, uh, a consistent top level team. They've certainly got the talent, and I'll give you uh, your Miami folks a minute. Uh, Cormac Ryan's going to be really good for North Carolina. Of course, the Notre Dame transfer and Stanford transfer. Um, he's played really well against North Carolina in the past. I, I think he's going to be a, a difference maker for Carolina. But, I mean, North Carolina's got to get back in it. You know, yeah. Had they won the national championship a couple of years ago, that would have been amazing. But it doesn't stop the fact that they missed the tournament. Uh, they probably would have missed it during COVID. Uh, they missed it last year. They need to get back on track um, because you got teams like Miami, you got teams like Duke that are they're making noise and, and continuing Miami's ascent, but also continuing Duke's consistency. And, and so I think Hubert's got his work cut out for him. But it'll certainly be exciting to see how he blends all these new pieces. But it's just the the new era in college basketball where you know it's not you know Joey Center is uh you know, from Chapel Hill High School and was recruited to North Carolina. It's, you know, Cormac Ryan transferred from Notre Dame. Oh, there's a Harrison Ingram transferred from Stanford. Or, you know, it's just nuts the way the game has changed. But, hey, it's the world we live in. I just think Hubert Davis needs to show us that he's capable of, of getting his team play high-level basketball more consistently than they have in the past. Listen, Tommy, I think after the way the Canes game ended last week, a lot of fans are hope are – wishing this was a basketball game this weekend because the fans are still pretty gutted but no i think uh, i think this miami team comes out there's no way you can come out flat i mean you you got you've got this whole week that they've been having to see what's on social media as much as they've been trying to stay away from it and all the criticism nationally uh that i you know i'm excited for this game this weekend and like you said should be an awesome atmosphere up there in chapel hill appreciate you coming on the show today again tommy ashley insidecarolina.com and the inside carolina podcast check out his work and check out inside carolina on the 247 sports network for any tar heels info leading up to this game this week
Yeah, man, I appreciate you having me. And like you mentioned, Inside Carolina, if, if folks want the Inside Carolina Scoop or the North Carolina Scoop, it's certainly the place to go. And, uh, you know, I always try to watch everybody else's stuff across the, the Internet and uh, preparing for games. So I appreciate you asking me to come on and be a part of this show. It's always a fun time to talk to people outside of our echo chamber. And uh, it's especially cool today. I appreciate it. Well, listen, I, I learned that the Carolina fans don't like Jim Laranay's whistling today, so I'm going to check out the inside Carolina boards <laughs> when, when the Canes and the Tar Heels uh, play in basketball this year to see, to see what they're saying on there. So I'm looking forward to that. Hey, man, it's, it's all in fun. You know, message boards are interesting. I was looking to see when uh, – so Carolina and Miami play the home-and-home this year in basketball, February 10th down there, February 26th back in Chapel Hill. So it should be a fun time. Ooh, Carolina's got Virginia on Saturday the 24th, Miami on Monday the 26th. So Quick that, turnaround. that should make for some and interesting – tar- Listen, the Tar Heel fans always, always tend to – you know make it down to to south florida in february i don't know i don't know what what it is about that time of year but 85 degrees and sun right we went down to the orange fun story we went down to the orange bowl a couple years ago when carolina played texas a&m and uh i was on the beach on january the first sunning on the beach and enjoying the water that's why carolina fans find their way down there and it's it's why recruiting can be you know easy at times for miami down here it's 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 a lot to offer so all right tommy appreciate your time today man yeah man thank you